but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. I guess I should say welcome to TBS Live, the Body Serve Live. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We did not initially intend to release this as an episode, but we did a little thing on Zoom where we uh, did the body and bones of a regular Body Serve episode where we're able to interact with some of the listeners. Thank you to everybody who showed up and participated, we were able to go back and listen to some of the audio that we recorded, not knowing how it would sound, and it turns out it's okay enough to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to present as an episode. So does this count as episode 195? Is this a real episode? We put the work in, we yeah. put the time in, so. So we, right now we're just recording a little bit of a, a preamble, but what you'll hear for most of this episode is the live Zoom session. Uh, that we did on Saturday, April 25th. It was our first foray into, well, video, really. Yeah, and we, not only just video, it was live streaming. <laughs> it was it was an experience and an ordeal. It was. We learned some very <laughs> important lessons. Uh, <laughs> we will password protect or maintain a waiting room if we yeah. ever do this again. Yeah, so if you do ever use Zoom, uh, have a waiting room. Definitely. But other than that hiccup so, at the beginning... Well, we should also apologize to the folks who... The handful of folks who were yeah. there at the start because that was not what you wanted to hear or see on your no, Saturday. So that was our negligence, and we are very sorry for that. It won't happen again. But for the rest of the call, it was great. It was it was really cool to see all of your faces. It was a great exercise for us because um, it's challenging. It's... Uh, we're not a live show. You know, we do a lot of editing. So this was a chance for people to see us how we normally record an episode. We may still do a bit of editing yet with this live recording, depending on how how long it runs once we get through and listen to the whole thing. Yeah, it might not all be good. You know, but during this time, we have we everyone has had to pivot, try new things, survive just to stay sane. And this was really a cool thing for us it was fun mm -hmm. i don't know if everything that we wanted to say was said on the show because at the start we were kind of helter skelter scrambling mm. all over the place in our heads trying to recover from that start <laughs> and pay attention to everything that was going on in real time for the first time because it was a new experience for us that said uh the one thing that we want to add in this preamble before we get into the episode is an addendum to that segment on the hyenas week that the Djokovic family had. The, the Djokovic family and the Nole fam. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the part. While we had some damning things to say about Novak and Yelena and everything that happened, we do spare a thought for Djokovic's fans. I've never seen so many Djokovic fans really having some of them a come to Jesus moment some of them a moment of real grappling with fandom 
as this was unfolding. And it's a, a fraught trying experience to have to consider your favorites as people who are not perfect, mm. who exist outside of what you hold on the playing field. In this case, the tennis court. Yeah. I was surprised that some people were, especially like some of the more ardent fans, were willing to criticize Novak. There were some people who dug in their heels even further and probably expressed some views they don't even believe. But because fandom is so all-consuming for a lot of folks, they were willing to suspend part of themselves to defend their favorite. We've done segments that dealt with fandom as a fetish object. You tweeted about that this week when this was happening, and we kind of added to that and called it fandom as a fetish object and disease. Right. I was just so annoyed. That's why I called it a disease. I didn't really think through all the scientific implications of that. But yeah, it can be contagious. It can be an addiction, which is a disease. It can cause you to... Put your blinders on. Yeah. Be uh, willfully ignorant to science, for one. Right. It was just, yeah, it was a very weird week in tennis. We also talked about Roger Federer's tweet, his leak, I guess, or maybe it was coordinated. This uh, reveal that the WTA and the ATP are considering uh, a merger of sorts to become one large governing body and player association for all of men's and women's tennis, which is fascinating. And there's a lot to think through there. Some folks in the in the Zoom chat mentioned that this felt like a PR move with the speed that some of the players responded to it, that they knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. And apparently this was something that was fleshed out a little bit more on the NCR podcast with Reem Avalil. We haven't had a chance to listen to that. Uh, but that that's an interesting spoke in the wheel as well. Right. If so, this was actually coordinated mm-hmm. rather than... Because at, at first it seemed really fly by the seat of your pants. Another bit that we... I don't... I honestly can't recall if we mentioned it. But I wanted to say that for all the, the issues that we had with Federer's tweet and the... Oh, I hate saying this, but the optics of it and what it felt like. The way that that should have happened was for Federer to be like, hey, Serena Williams, this is great. How about we do this? Right. Instead, it felt like the men were going alone and driving this thing. When we know now that there have been a lot of discussions behind the scenes involving countless parties that we're not even close to being privy to. And so if this were indeed a PR rollout, it was a PR fail, to my mind. Well, I mean, I think something that we missed in what you're going to hear coming up is that Recklessness is not really something that's part of Roger Federer's brand. So what we probably should have considered, you and I, is that if it appears reckless on Roger's part, maybe there's something we're not seeing. Maybe there's something that we don't know about this. Because that's not really like him. You know, he's very measured. He's very uh, thoughtful, generally. Mm. Maybe he's just got too much time on his hands (laughs) right now. Mm. Right. Is there anything else you want to add before we get into this? No, no. It's already going to be a long episode, so... What follows is our Zoom session with a bunch of our listeners. It's basically an entire episode of The Body Serve, plus some interactive stuff at the end. There's a name, the tennis player. There's a couple of FMKs. Mm -hmm. One of them specially delivered by Dr. Scholes. 
and you also get to hear an impassioned defense of Sloan Stevens by him at some mm-hmm. point. In our defense, we were asked a question. We did not proffer anything negative towards Sloan. No defense is necessary. There was no <laughs> negativity about Sloan, okay? <laughs> Perhaps this is something that we'll do again at some point in the future. For those who participated, thank you very much. And hopefully, for those who were unable to make it, you'll be able to enjoy what's to come. So, uh, tennis has been slow for weeks. And then this week, all hell breaks loose. And none other than Roger Federer himself is the one to get things kicked off. So Mm. we're going to start with that whole story about this alleged merger slash acquisition that's happening or has been happening since January. So out of the blue, Federer tweets on the 22nd, which is three days ago, uh, just wondering, am I the only one thinking that now is the time for men's and women's tennis to be united and come together as one? Thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, so I don't know if Roger knew exactly what he was doing by saying this. Obviously, he didn't tweet this in a vacuum. He uh, obviously talks were going on for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, between the WTA and ATP, possibly the ITF. Well, I no, don't really it, know. It wasn't obvious. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't it is, obvious it is at now. All. So Roger tweets this. Rafa Nadal quote tweets a little bit later and says, Hi, Roger Federer. As you know, per our discussions, I completely agree that it would be great to get out of this world crisis with the union of men's and women's tennis in only one organization. Which totally sounds like Rafa's voice, right? <laughs> totally like how he talks well he there writes. was some sleuthing that was done and tweets were brought up discovered where he had previously tweeted in that vein before as mm-hmm. per discussions so i don't know if benito is the one who speaks like that or rafa but it is in keeping with his twitter account yeah it's definitely benito so we've heard like sort of rumblings about this from andrea gaudenzi who is the new atp chairman and president but i didn't know it was this far along and I guess it was this crisis that sort of spurred the talks a bit further. Mm-hmm. Like people are bored and there's obviously like serious financial implications to the tours being off for the entire year. So much of their revenue comes from the actual tournament um, operating. But what was strange about it was that Federer took this upon himself. Yeah. Like what is his authorization other than being the GOAT and mm. feeling that on a whim, I'm going to break, not break this news. Mm. because. Pretty much everybody seemed to be caught off guard by it. Right. Serena Williams tweeted and then deleted really fast. Something like, I thought this was supposed to be confidential for now. Um, so that was... <laughs> Well, we assume that's what she was talking about. Yeah, it actually, it could have been about anything. About Burley bras, about Gatorade, <laughs> like one of her sponsors, Alexis. I, but it was probably, my guess is that it was probably about Roger's tweet. Okay. Um, my question is, why didn't Federer do this alongside Serena. Like if the, if the goal here is a merging of the tours, a joining of forces, you have the two biggest players on either tour mm. do that kind of interplay rather yeah. than Ro- Roger seemingly striking out on his own and not including anybody. And then having Rafa tag team him, mm. retweet him, when we've seen and known that Rafa is not the most astute when it comes to these things. Well... And I sort of wonder, like, so we're going to talk about Novak a little bit later, but where is Novak in all of this? Like, he's the president of the Players' Council. I imagine he's been a big part of these talks as well. Why was he not part of this 
miniature tweet storm. Well, um, he had his own things going on this week, and we'll get to that sure. later on. But Perhaps that has something to do with it. But it was weird to see like Roger and Rafa tweet at each other and sort of... <laughs> Darren, I just read your comment. Thank you. <laughs> we, we will get there. But like as the president of the Players Council, as someone who's been super active politically on the ATP, where was he? Like, does, did he feel a little bit sore about not being included in that original... Uh, sort of leak objection by Roger? that is speculation pure speculation reckless what, what? by whom <laughs> by you oh i mean i don't think we can project that onto novak in this thing i think it speaks more to roger and Raf being in their own little bubble this came mm -hmm. right after they had their own tbs live kind of situation oh right their their instagram live did i just say tbs live yeah <laughs> What are your thoughts on Nadal and his press conference from Australian Open 2019 being circulated after this news broke? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so Reem Abelil, um, who's a tennis journalist, took like a little bit of flack from the fandom for, for tweeting out this video of Rafa. When did you say it was 2019 Australian Open or 2018? 2019. Yeah. And he's like, he's had to answer a lot of questions before about pay equity in tennis and he, I don't think he's ever really done an amazing job at answering the questions. He's struck out a few times, but it's, but he's had a lot of practice, you know? And so in the past few years, it's been sort of annoyance that he has to even answer the question and frustration that whatever he, he says is going to be misconstrued, which is honestly is fair. We saw it this week with a Sasha Zverev quote, something he said in German that was circulated. And even I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, this kid is such an idiot. And then Renee Denfeld translated it for us and was like, oh, okay. Like in the context, it actually wasn't that bad. It was, it was actually totally reasonable. So I digress. Rafa has said before, he thinks pay should be based on merit. How that works, I don't know. Like who generates the most revenue or interest or entertainment value. And I think like he believes his view is, is just, is fair. I don't necessarily agree, but I think he's coming at it from a like, well, this is, this makes the most sense to me, you know? So that's my opinion. Well, his perspective is quite frankly, trash <laughs> up until this point. What was, I think, stark and I don't want to say alarming, but something that stuck out for a lot of folks when he piggybacked off of Federer was, this is totally out of step with everything that we've seen from him in years past. Mm. Not that he was out here being an anti-woman crusader, but like he had, like you said, shown no aptitude to think through these issues in a way that was close to being on the right path. Yeah, I think. Rafa... And I, so, so I think it's fair. I think it's fair that his record, his record, his thoughts from the past stand alongside what he's saying now. And in that Australian Open video, he said, "Well, I'm not the expert. Ask the ex experts. Is it that because he and Federer are now on the board?" on the Players' Council since January, that he's been made abreast of what's going on, that he's been ma made aware of certain things. Mm. Is it a, a strictly financial decision that's moving the needle here? Or is it, I struggle to think that it's like a, an ethical dilemma that these men are now coming, on the, coming out on the right side of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, better late than never. Um, of course, people have the right to change their minds. You know, I, I think like someone's past opinions that they've shared publicly are relevant, 
but if somebody has genuinely changed his or her mind about it, we should accept that. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't think Reem circulating that video was a gotcha moment. I think it was a journalist doing what journalists are supposed to do. And, you know, a lot of times journalists get criticized in sports for being fans, for being too fanish. And then on the other end, like they get criticized for being too rough, too like gotcha. I don't know what the happy medium is there. Mm-hmm. Sports is it was weird. Like a lot of sports reporters are fans. That's why they got into it. Yes. You know? It's a weird moment. A because it's happening so quickly. It's seeming like it's seeming like it's coming out of nowhere. And it's fair for folks, us included, to question people's motives. Mm. I think that one of the driving factors behind all of this is if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, is uh, the new ATP president, Andre Gaudenzi, I think his name is. Mm. Everything that he said so far gives me the impression that he's taken stock of the tennis landscape and realizes that there's so many divisions, so many stakeholders, so many revenue streams that are not being properly tapped into. And I don't know how he or the ATP views the WTA as part of that and what they can bring to the table. I think going Mm -hmm. forward, we have to move beyond this oh, wow, this is something that we've been wanting to see happen for a long time and it's finally happening potentially. Kumbaya, yay, great. Because there's still a lot of money involved, a lot of people who have interests that may not align with the WTA. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen a lot of people talk about, like, is this a merger or an acquisition? (laughs) Like, what's, how are these two bodies coming together? Um, And I think the WTA if this is going to happen, the WTA has to come to the table, like as if this is collective bargaining, right? Like it has to be bargaining in good faith. Both parties will have demands, deal breakers. And I hope that the WTA kind of comes with a list and is armed with smart people and famous people, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. like Venus Williams is such, Emmett just mentioned Venus, like she's such an incredible advocate because of who she is and because of what she's done in the past. Billie Jean King, obviously, who's been doing this for 60 years, but there have to be more, right? Mm -hmm. Like Serena has been an advocate as well, but we can't only rely on Serena Venus and Billie Jean. I think Billie Jean is vital. Well, (laughs) right. We're lucky that she's still around to, to like give voice to this organization that she helped build, you know? This is a beat that she's been on from the very start. There is Mm -hmm. no WTA without Billie Jean King. And I believe it was in the early 80s that she said, I I went to the men and I was like, listen, we need to go this road together. And they're like, no, we don't need you, essentially. She talked about this in 2018 in Singapore. And she said, which was kind of chilling. She said, I hope this is something that happens before I'm dead. Oh, this is good. Okay, this is really good. So she said, so I had gone to the men and said, why don't we go? Why don't we go do it together? And this is in 1970 have a union or an association together? And they said, no. So that's why we went to plan B and went to men's ATP and women's WTA. So she's framing the WTA, which she basically built as plan B. (laughs) And she says, but I think that was a big mistake. They still don't want us, but someday, I don't know if it's before I die or not. If they were smart, we would have been together from day one. And then she adds, we should have owned the Grand Slams too. And that was like, oh, oh my God. Like, I didn't even think that that was a possibility. That wasn't even in my mind, you know. You're the HR person. Right. Like, the bargaining power. 
that that mm, has. That the men and women as two players associations could own the Grand Slam tournaments. That never even occurred to me, actually. Mm-hmm. The bit that I particularly liked this week that tickled me was from Vashik Pospisil. Because Federer and Nadal are having their little back and forth on Twitter. And Vash- Vashek, Vashek <laughs> has to insert himself and he quote tweets and he says, Hey, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, great idea. The ATP has been working on this since they brought the vision forward to us in January. At first, it didn't register to me that Rafa and Roger are on the Players' Council, so they too would have been privy to this knowledge since January. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the angle here? Is this to kind of insert himself and big himself up to make him yeah. look good that he has yeah. been part of the process? Yeah. That's it's somebody who has been agitating for equal well, no, definitely not equal prize money, but better prize oh, money. Haven't heard that. Spreading the wealth on the ATP tour that, no, this big thing is happening and he's not in the discussion. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's cool, Roger and Rafa. I like it. But what about me, really? Yeah, it was just weird because, like, they're part of the same governing body, right? Did someone just say vasectomy? Oh, my God. <laughs> it would be vasectomy. But, sorry. Yeah, that was really crude, the way I wrote. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what else about this? Nikirios. Nikirios is against it, which is fine. Like, it's, what, what specifically did he say? It's written. Oh right well, there. at first, at first he said, when Roger said, "Am I the only one thinking this?" Nick said, "Yes," and some news outlets interpreted that as Nick being in support of it. But if you read it closely, he's answering the question, "Am I the only one thinking this?" And then Nick said, "Yes, comma, <laughs> you are the only one thinking this." So Nick did come out and say very plainly that like this is not something i'm interested in and what did he say specifically he said did anyone ask the majority of the atp what they think about merging with the wta and how it is good for us Mm. i don't know i mean it it is a good question like and you don't as a player you don't have to support it like out of hand it's your prerogative to to have your own opinion it's just like is Nick trolling or does he actually believe really strongly about this? Well, if it's something that hasn't been communicated well down the tennis ranks, yeah. this is something that he could have been caught completely unaware by. Mm. And the way it was broken by Federer, it catches the players off guard as well too, right? So mm-hmm. in that regard, I find it valid. In another regard, it's not a great look. Is it ever? like? <laughs> It's also like the boy who cried wolf because Nick is his social media presence is like frequently trolling. So it's like it's hard to tell when he's being principled and serious, which I think is a lot of the time. And when he's being sort of a troll. Right. Mm -hmm. Tony said no. Oh, Janina. Hey, Janina. So does anything in tennis ever communicated? Well, well, no, you have a very good point. (laughs) Um, So Billie Jean King chimed in. Yes. So we knew that this was sort of her vision from way back in 1969, 1970. And she quote tweeted Roger and said, I agree and have been saying so since the early 70s. One voice, women and men together, has long been my vision for tennis. The WTA on its own was always plan B. I'm glad we're on the same page. Let's make it happen. All right. Magnanimous. Mm -hmm. Billie Jean is like, Big picture. I mean, at this stage in her career, she's extremely diplomatic. Like, she wants to be on the right side of history. I think she cares. (laughs) I think she cares a lot about her legacy, you know? And I think she wants to... Obviously, she's going to be protective of this organization. 
that she's largely responsible yeah. for. But she also cares about like what young people think of her, like how they see her now. I really believe that. In the last few years, I feel like she's been walking this tightrope between, well, not between, just frankly, protecting her legacy, like you said. Mm. It's not, we've seen so many people who have this vast track record, these elevated statuses within their sports or organizations. As they age, in this day and age, they step many a foot wrong. That kind of, mm. for whatever reason, diminishes what, what's come before. And so I can't imagine that Billie Jean would do anything in this scenario to undercut the decades worth of work that she's done. So yeah. build, start the WTA and then see it grow and flourish. Right? Which is why I think it's key that she's involved because right. she's somebody whose vested interest of protecting and, and ensuring that the WTA flourishes will be pure. Mm. Well, and also like she has bargaining power because of who she is. Her name is on the National Tennis Center in the U.S. If anyone can sort of, what, like, what am I thinking? Like, her not getting what she wanted would generate a lot of bad PR. Because I think a lot of people in sport, like in outside of just tennis, people see her as like a, an honest actor. Like somebody who is always pushing toward justice. Because that's her brand, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's what she has built. Um, and that's what, I mean not to be cynical, but like she cares about being seen that way, you know? So embarrassing or undermining Billie Jean King is just not a good look. It would not be a good look for anyone. Mm -hmm. But she still has the acumen to deal oh, with the yeah. situation yeah, as yeah. well. It's, not, it's earned. It's unfair to paint her as just a figurehead at this point, because when somebody of her stature gets to this age, people roll them out. Mm -hmm. You know, we see Rod Laver all the time. He's there to just wave, shake a few hands, you know, sit yeah. there and clap in the audience. Billie Jean is still doing actual work, you know? Yeah. Okay. Should we bring up Novak? So I... <laughs> <laughs> I see Shoa laughing. Disclaimer. Hi. Disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> he's leaving. This oh has God, been a fraught week if you're a Novak fan. Mm -hmm. That hasn't been the case for us. <laughs> it has been tough. So... But there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. And the disclaimer is... We just encourage you to take your licks along with Novak this week. It'll get better. <laughs> I And don't hold it I against us. I honestly feel bad because we did just single out one person as a Novak fan. I'm sure there are others yes. in the group. Um, no, but Shola will be making an appearance later with FMK. He's, he is well, maybe, featured. Maybe. Yeah, if he sticks around. <laughs> so, I, I mean, there are literally millions of Novak fans. Yeah. Um, so let me just say, it has given me a lot of good laughs this week, but I also like I try to be, I try to be reasonable wherever I could and troll in a lighthearted way. That's such bullshit. No, it is. <laughs> You've become so mean spirited in your older years. No, but I have. I've been avoiding Twitter a lot, like during this quarantine, because it's. I just haven't like been super engaged in tennis. Mm -hmm. We'll start where this all starts. Okay, so it starts on a very good note. Yeah, Novak has this Instagram live with Andy Murray and. He's generating so much goodwill. So many frozen hearts are being thawed. Mm -hmm. I like you can literally see the goodwill all over yeah. Twitter. So people who have been staunch anti-Novak people mm -hmm. as long as I've known them, talking about how oh my god, like what is happening? The power mm -hmm. that COVID nineteen has. Yeah, apparently I I don't know. Um, the the 
Instagram Live with Andy Murray was great. People love that. That was, you know, a large part of maybe softening people toward Nova. He took the piss out of himself. He had many opportunities where he could have aggrandized himself with respect to the big three. And, and he did not. He did not. He was even, with Stan, he was even sort of baited into answering that question about, oh, do you think you're underloved, properly loved, whatever, with regard to the big three? Like when you're mm -hmm. playing Roger and Rafa, and he said, you know, they're basically like, they're great guys, I get it. Like, wow, God, like that was way more generous than he had to be. There were instances um, where he could have easily acknowledged his own place, mm. his underappreciated place within the big three yeah. landscape, and he didn't. Janina said her position on Novax has never changed. And we, you know, we admire your steadiness, <laughs> your conviction. <laughs> but hearts and minds can change too, and that's why. <laughs> but what, like, the real goodwill also came from this player relief fund that Novak uh -huh. was tweeting about that he had this idea that everyone in the top 100 would commit some money to supporting players outside of the top, what did he say? Out of, like top 250, 250? I think. Yeah. yeah. And so like the top 10 would commit $30,000, I think. Everybody else would top give- Top five would be 30,000. Oh, right. be scaled down. So it was like a sliding scale. And even the top 20 doubles players would commit 5,000. And apparently this did not pass. So at the moment, it is completely voluntary among the top 100 if they want to give money. And so it would go on top of the $6 million that Dave Haggerty just announced that would be designated for players, what, 200? Above 200? I wasn't paying attention to you just now. I had confidence <laughs> yes. that you'd be able to Administrative take this issues. on your own. So anyway, <laughs> the point is that Novak introduced this, this thing, this fund, or proposed this fund where players would actually give money out of their own pocket to support their fellow players, which is great. Like, cool. Like, no, nothing to complain about. Even the people who hate there Novak. Is, there is some stuff to complain about. Unfortunately <laughs> for him, he would have bore the, the brunt of it because he is the Players' Council president. Right. If you have issue with the scale of it, that's valid. Like, how much a player mm. contributes based on where they're ranked. Like, really, can the 99th ranked player afford to do that? Right. Relative like, to a can to the, the number five player. ranked yeah. player afford to do that? Whatever. Mm. But yes, he spearheaded this thing and it was, it was good. Like, he the thing, the big thing is that, like, he took it seriously. You know, like, he understood that his fellow tennis players are in need and they are kind of suffering financially and he tried to do something about it, which is somebody you want in the Players' Council, right? So... He took all that goodwill and said, you know what? Fuck I don't, a goodwill. I don't care what... <laughs> Fuck a goodwill. Fuck a vaccine. <laughs> I don't know her. <laughs> and um, so he said, this was in Serbian. It's been translated into English. So, you know, I immediately was like a little bit skeptical. So I wasn't ready to jump to conclusions about anti-vax or any of that stuff. So he said, personally, I'm opposed to vaccination and I wouldn't want to be forced by someone to take a vaccine in order to be able to travel. But if it becomes compulsory, what will happen? I will have to make a decision. So the context is that he was asked about if a COVID vaccine becomes available and it becomes compulsory in order to rejoin the tennis tour, would you take it? But there are a lot of ifs, right? Like there's two leaps there. First of all, a vaccine does not exist. Second, we don't know if it would be compulsory to rejoin the tour. 
So like he's answering two hypotheticals here. And so I wasn't sure if he meant he was against all vaccinations or just this one. And so you're saying to all, be these, fair, all these like, things that a simple will cross that bridge when the time comes yeah, could have. Clearly he did not handle it well. Because like what are his objections to a vaccine in general? Like any any vaccine. That was the first the, the first thing that jumped out to me was is it just this vaccine or any vaccine? Right. And so that's why I didn't go on Twitter and say, oh, Novak is an anti-vaxxer, because I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, he probably has his own inoculations, but like, do his, does he want his children to have those? I don't know. Like, that's, I was about to say it's his business, but it not, it isn't really his business, because it's actually everybody's business. This is one of those things where like your opinion about something actually affects your community and mm -hmm. affects all of us, <laughs> right? This is like a lot of this corona crisis has shown me that a lot of people just like don't understand that they exist in a larger community of human beings and that you're responsible for other people too like or you should be or you should feel responsible for other people there's also this thing that we see with a lot of celebrities when they acquire a lot of wealth and by extension privilege they then think that their reading is akin to scientific research like their research is on par with people who've got 20 years mm -hmm. of studying and 20 additional years of scientific practice. Like these things are up for debate only because you can afford to do things differently in your life. Uh, yeah, but like, okay, we're not scientists and I'm not gonna pretend to, to be an epidemiologist, but from what I understand, like herd immunity depends on a lot of people getting vaccinated, right? Like. Yeah. That, <laughs> It's not like, okay, let's everybody just get the disease. This is, uh, you know, if everyone just got polio, a lot of people would be seriously fucked. This is why we get vaccinations. Um, so if you don't vaccinate your children, that is a problem for other people in your community. Do not underestimate to the pull and the influence that he has within his own country. Well, yeah, like that's what makes me nervous. And it feels a little gross about this because he said, like, I, I want to pursue... Well, first of all, I'm careful about what I put in my body. Fine. Valid. Uh, and I want to pursue other options. What was the, I forgot the exact wording, whatever. But like in a lot of cases, the other options are death, paralysis, uh, pneumonia. Like, I don't, I don't know how to make that clearer. You know, it's, it sounds like really grim, but with some of these viruses, there really is not another option. Like, that's why we have a polio vaccine. Mm -hmm. But to the point about the pull and the weight of his clout as a world number one, big three mm. goat, especially within his own country. Like we, we're living through in the United States now where this person can talk about injecting bleach and the people who are devout followers of him who put to the wayside any attempt at critical thinking go and drink bleach. They're making drink bleach cocktails. Mm -hmm. And so somebody of that standing to say something like that or to, to leave it open to interpretation and to then follow up and have it still not be clear is beyond reckless in this yeah. day and age, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, the weird thing is that he, uh, he like gave a statement from his management team afterward and it really wasn't better. Like it was kind of the same thing. <laughs> And Christopher Clary has been on this beat, by the way. He's been on the 
management team calls Chris Clary at the New York Times and says, can you please release this article that smooths things over? <laughs> You're shady. No, I, I mean, You're I shady. actually like Christopher Clary's writing, but the, the Goff family had, you know, some issues with Noah Rubin's behind, behind, beyond, behind the rocket, behind the rocket, behind the rocket. And it was very clear that IMG kind of contacted the New York Times and was like, can you smooth this over for us? That's at least that's what the story read. And if I'm wrong, I'll accept that. It felt like a little bit of pay for play. Oh, oh, see, you made it see, worse. See, that's like a, you made a step it too so far. much worse. Um, yeah. I, hmm. With the Novak thing, Chris was just... Um, no, I I'm say, not talking about the Novak thing. I'm talking about oh. the, the IMG Goff thing. Oh, yeah. No, that was weird. I felt like that was really uncomfortable to me. And I don't want to get too much into it because, like, she's a kid and, you know, I don't want to, I personally don't want to talk about that. But with the Novak thing, it was like... You're preempting people to not ask us questions for the mailbag segment yeah, at yeah. the end of the episode. I um, see what you did. With the New York Times story on Novak, it was like, okay, so he released this story through his management team to clarify his comments in Serbian. And the statement wasn't really... It was really like, well, I said what I said. Was that not clear? Like how right? much more obscure like, do you need me to be? <laughs> like 5G causes Corona. Okay, bitch. Thank you, Miss <laughs> Yelena Djokovic. Yes, to be clear, that wasn't, because that wasn't Novak. That it was, was a bad week for the Djokovic family because mm. Yelena is out here sharing videos on Instagram that had her tagged officially as fake news. She became fake news because she shared this story, this video that alleges lies that COVID-19 is due to 5G technology. Yeah. Mm. I have... These are, these are strange times. I think I tweeted, if Novak Djokovic's public persona and the way he's perceived were the stock market these would have been record days in either direction mm. because it was hard to to really fathom how mm. quickly this turned i wonder like what novak's agent is feeling right now and then Stress? he had another guru on his instagram live mm -hmm. that's apparently going to be a recurring guru segment <laughs> <laughs> yes chervin jafaria who is a persian i don't know if he's a doctor but he's like a wellness specialist I say that very lightly. Fabio Fonini. I mean, if you're already in deep shit, why not invite Fabio on your show? Oh, there's that. I wasn't even talking about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he did a live with Fabio too. But we're done with Novak. Uh -huh. every, every Novak fan, just breathe. It's, it's time over. To, time to shit on Fabio now. <laughs> <laughs> we need a guru on the show. That's what Shola says. You have like two right here. Oh, Fabio, yeah. Fabio Fanini wants us to know that when this is all said and done, he will no longer be traveling to China because of COVID-19 and them not being able to keep their viruses under control. I feel like he said Asia. Didn't he say Asia? Not I, just China? I could be wrong. I thought it was China. Oh, okay. I Don't quote me on that. Fabio, he's not going to Shanghai or Tokyo. That's pretty much what he's saying. Yeah. Fabio tweeting from Italy, mm -hmm. which... Surprisingly, has had no coronavirus cases, zero, that he won't go to Asia. What? Dude, like, at this point, the only thing that can explain that is racism. Xenophobia? Yeah, yeah. That's tethered, true. they're tethered. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so enough about trashing 
these ATP guys. It was, see, Molly said it was Asia, all of Asia. Like, he won't go to Jordan, Qatar, Uzbekistan. He, he don't know that that's Asia. Sri Lanka is out. Like, <laughs> too bad. So the ITF, ATP, WTA has gotten on board with this player support fund. It's a little bit different than Novak Djokovic had um, conceived it. So David Haggerty announced on Tuesday that each of the four Grand Slams would contribute a million dollars. The ATP and WTA would contribute a close to a million for this uh, player support fund. And so it's primarily benefiting people outside of the top 200, um, which is interesting because I think a lot of people between like 100 and 200 will have trouble paying their bills as well. You know, like I, I don't think they actually make it that much. You could argue that they're saving a lot of money in fees, you know, in travel and, and lodging and stuff like that. So Djokovic's proposal was that they target people ranked between 250 and 700. So this sort of opens it up to the 200 level and up. You know, $6 million, it's, it's not a lot, but it's better than nothing. Like On a previous show, I had done a little bit of brief, brief math and I said for two, what was it, two to have a positive effect on 400 players for both tours, mm. you'd need like $5 million for four months. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it may seem like nothing, but it's not nothing. Mm -hmm. For like a modest monthly income. And it also depends on what country you live in, of course. And some players may actually be eligible for like employment insurance or some kind of relief fund in their own country. For example, like in Canada, their players are independent contractors, obviously, and they would probably be <laughs> they would probably be eligible for the Canada Emergency Response Fund, which is like two thousand dollars a month. So it's a, it's a start. Like we've said it before, like when you have independent contractors as the people who are generating the money, like who are the talent in your organization, you are relinquishing that risk of hiring employees, right? You are saying, I don't have a lot of responsibilities to you because you are coming to me mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you're doing your work independently from this organization. Yeah. Um, but it, like, it kind of sucks. Say this merger happens and we're hoping it's a merger rather than an acquisition. And say the WTA's best interests are put forth and respected and everything goes hunky-dory. Does that prevent this situation from happening again because we're being told oh. that now is the time for the tours to come together we need hashtag tennis unity presumably one of the driving forces behind that is the fact that the the lower ranked players are struggling to survive or is it just a cash grab at the top again yeah well no i mean it's still it's not a labor union um there's still i assume they would still be independent contractors and yeah like i think it would probably happen again right? Um, unless something like fundamental changes. I don't know how you could think otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I was like getting ready to... <laughs> I don't know how to, how to say that. Like to have faith in any kind of corporate entity to do the right mm. thing in a crisis is... We have Whole Foods out here paying people $2 extra an hour and making them wear t-shirts with hero on it. That's really offensive. Yeah. So anyway... Um, so the ATP has already committed all this money. The WTA was asked as well. And I feel like, as usual, the WTA is not quite as skilled as at the PR thing. You know, they've said they kind of had to be asked. Steve Simon didn't yeah. tweet that, oh, we're doing all this, this, and this for our, for our members. So they were asked, and he said, we've already spent $3 million. 
Part of it is refunding membership fees because the tournaments are not happening this year. And part of it is paying first round prize money at Indian Wells. Think about this. The WTA themselves paid first round prize money for Indian Wells, which is run by Larry Ellison, who has more money than God. What? Like what? What is going on? Mm-hmm. Why? Like why should the, same, the WTA? Sure. But at the same time, <laughs> that's one way to look at it. But also the WTA was quick to make sure that their players yeah. were taken care yeah, of. Yeah, they acted very quickly. So I find that the WTA does stuff in a way, sometimes, quite a few times, that's respectful to its stakeholders and players that doesn't play as good PR. Yeah, like they should actually, I mean, they're, they're doing the right thing in this situation, but they maybe should have thought about their um, image as well. Like, also, I mean, pretend you're Patrick Maratoglu. Hmm. <laughs> because you would know. I also get the sense that the WTA and reading between the lines in Simon's statement has to kind of play its cards close to the chest with the situation. Mm. Like you are small potatoes compared to like the behemoth that's just being unleashed with Federer and Nadal setting this thing in motion. So yeah. you have to be very careful about how you tiptoe into those waters. And you're being forced to make a public statement when in fact this stuff potentially was leaked by Federer. Mm. Folks weren't in a position where they were ready to opine on it. Oh, that's true. And you may not want to compromise what's going on behind the scenes by saying too much. Mm. I don't know. Okay, so a few more things here, and then I will kind of turn it over. I don't know how long we've been talking. Uh, About 40 minutes. Okay. So Patrick Muradoglu and Stefano Tsitsipas has actually, they have actually launched a fundraiser themselves, independent of this $6 million from the, the leagues. So Steph has actually put up a lot of his own merch, like his mm. clothes, his equipment and stuff for a silent auction. And then you can also just donate if you don't want to auction on anything. So that's called Beyond 100 Support. That's pretty cool. Like, yeah. I, you know, Patrick is a, great self-promoter but this is something i actually feel like he genuinely cares about or it's you know it seems that no you don't I mean, it's never 100 percent not self-serving with patrick well, maybe just, like 90 percent self-serving um no not there not quite there yet mm, okay fair i mean he has earned that criticism but what i do like is that steph is putting up his own stuff can you imagine how much stuff that would be of interest and value to tennis fans that they'd want to bid on even if it's just $30 for a headband, how much is a headband? You know how much those Nike headbands cost. I saw one of the items up for auction was a, a Zverev sweatband for $50. That goes for $25 to $30 probably mm-hmm. retail. So it's... I mean, pe- it, and people pay a premium for a Zverev sweat. <sighs> I, I mean, I, I wouldn't personally, but definitely some people would. I'd like to know what Patrick is contributing to this. <laughs> The infrastructure, uh, his, his fame, his good name. In more somber news coming out of Tennis Canada this week. Yeah, so just sort of as a microcosm, uh, one of the national federations, of which there are like hundreds around the world, Tennis Canada projects that they'll lose $17 million this year because they're not going to be hosting either Rogers Cup um, or any tournament, like any challenger, any ITF that they have. They're moving into immediately like immediate pay cuts and layoffs, furloughs, all this stuff. So 
I don't know, like if this extends beyond just this year, I don't know how a lot of these national federations are going to survive. The ITF like gives them money, but their revenue comes from tournaments actually happening. I don't know. We shall see. I mean, even if I was thinking like, even if a lot of businesses do collapse, like other businesses will probably pop up in their stead after this whole crisis is over, which is kind of a dystopian view of it. But Life will probably go on in a different way. But with respect to tennis, what are you saying in the Rogers Cup? I don't know. I mean, Tennis Canada will survive, but like, it sucks for the people who work for Tennis Canada, for the tournaments themselves. You know, it's actually a pretty venerable tournament as far as international tennis tournaments go. Like Rogers Cup in different names has been around for many, many years, decades. And so imagine what a a national federation for a country like, I don't know, Azerbaijan. Or, you know, Tunisia, countries that don't have that sort of infrastructure, what are they having to, to face now? They don't have a tournament to, to pay their bills. Robert Farah, Colombian beef. <laughs> Who apparently is now giving Kama Sutra tutorials on his Instagram. Like, <laughs> if you thought that he could not escalate, mm. he absolutely can. Yeah, so just so you know, like, he knows that everyone is looking and he has started to participate just like borna Scholz, you ready hi Jola. hi hi you're such a good sport How's it going? thank you for enduring the novak stuff listen i have many years of experience of just <laughs> taking a lot of novak trash um and just swallowing it and just being like it's fine it's okay it'll pass it never passes but it's fine um <laughs> I, I do have a suggestion for you. <laughs> oh, really? What is that? Perhaps these grave moments won't befall you with such weight. If in moments of happiness, mm-hmm. Novak happiness, you aren't so nasty about it. <laughs> <laughs> that you aren't so petty, mean-spirited. Now you're I resent that completely. I, when am I, when am I nasty? When am I nasty? When I, I'm never nasty. I might be a little bit, you know, you know, high on my horse, but I deserve it. I deserve to have that moment. Yeah, Novak is still undefeated on the year. I will take that to my grave. Congrats. <laughs> that was, okay, Maleficent. Anyway, the most come on, re- rebut that. Rebut it. Do it. <laughs> who are we effing? Who are we marrying? Say something about who that. Are we killing? Oh, okay. So um, the theme today is based off of a, a tweet that I sent last week. If you, it's a little hint. Um, it's about um, a short moment. You know what I mean? As Mariah once said. <laughs> um, unfortunately, there are not many shorties on the ATP. Um, I tried to go under, under like 5'10", but I, ne- I had to put someone else in who was just a little bit above 5'10", but still under six foot, but yeah. Um, so the three are Diego Schwartzman, mm-hmm. Yoshi Nishioka, mm-hmm. and David Goffin. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Oh my God, that's mm-hmm. really hard. So... Everyone, for context, we asked Shola to give us an F Mary kill because he's always submitting them when we do mailbags. Um, I think every single mailbag <laughs> we've done, he submitted one. So this is almost, Short yeah, King's edition. <laughs> so the options are Diego Schwartzman, Yoshi Nishioka, and Debbie Goffa. Yes. Okay. 
So who's going to go as a as a five foot ten king myself, (laughs) I feel like I should start. So Diego is the F. Like that's that's pretty easy. Don't you're looking to me for? Uh, Oh no. You go ahead. I, I'm just I mean, you know. That's fine. I don't recall like asking for commentary, but I will keep quiet. You go ahead. I just I just made a noise. You just go ahead. Ignore okay, me. so Dieguito is my F. I think I would probably marry Yoshi. I just I like his personality, and only because there are three very strong contenders, I would have to kill David Goffin. And it's not because I don't like him. You know, it's just process of elimination. So easy for me. Gofa is just way too, as we say in Jamaica, maga. He's, he's way too skinny. Yoshi is so funny. I feel like you need that kind of companionship when you marry somebody yeah. who can make you laugh. And by default or for obvious reasons, the F is Schwartzman. Wow, we have the same ones. Sorry we're so boring. Mm-hmm. But that was a really good one. Thanks, Joel. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> What's you have a name the tennis player? Oh yes. Y'all are familiar with the whole name the tennis player thing where I give you five clues and you're supposed to guess who the player is. Just for context, James is horrendous at this. Horrible. I wish I <laughs> I wish I had the uh, foresight to video him while he was trying to figure it out earlier today. He could not. Let's <laughs> let's even with clues. Peter Child says you are horrendous with your clues. I rebuke that. <laughs> wow, Peter. You've just been removed from the room. The five clues are direction, dramatic, beast, double, and accessory. I'll repeat, direction, dramatic, beast, double, and accessory. Wow, Molly Tiger. <laughs> you told me it was going to be very easy once you actually got it. Mm. And as it turns out... Wait, so don't... I mean, that doesn't mean she's right. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you really should have, like, given people longer. I know. So, while you all think, I'll just... My thought process... So, I started with direction. It was, like, north, south, east, west, north, Kardashian, west. No, no, that's was not my first guess. And then I, um, you're like, I don't have it. I'll give you some clues. And I said, well, you got it right with the direction. Pick one. Mm-hmm. And then you're, like, south, east, west north like finally north brandy norwood um (laughs) like i was lost i'm just not good at this at all direction being she the north obviously Mm -hmm. it's bianca andrescu dramatic her little kerfuffle with angie kerber yeah what did you say you are the biggest drama queen ever when she called serena williams a fucking beast and the only time it will ever be acceptable and the only context (laughs) For a white person to call a black person a fucking beast, that was it. <laughs> that was it. She ended. That was the only opportunity. Double. This can go for two things. It can be the Rogers Cup U.S. Open double that she had. That was last year. Mm-hmm. That feels like that was two years. Twenty nineteen. Or you could say the Indian Wells Rogers Cup double, and then accessory the that thing that she wears. We are ready for the mailbag segment. We got one here from Adam. He says, who's got the best social media going right now? For me, easy, Mugurutha. I could watch her dance all day. It's been such a Mm -hmm. highlight in these trying times. Not just to see her dance and dance well, but to see it escalate in a good way. Like she is turning it up consistently. Like she has 
pedigree on the court and off the court. Mm-hmm. Shola just called Garbinier our Nubian princess. You know, I'm not going to touch that one. Not our place. Sure. <laughs> oh, I'm, I should answer that too. Oh, well, I think Stan for me. Okay. I mean, Garbinia has made amazing strides in the past few weeks. And we've, you and I have both been on TikTok recently. You were on TikTok like, you know, five to six hours yesterday. Um, oh, somebody, Smash, submitted another FMK. Swedish stars. Borg, Edberg, and Mats Wielander. In that order for me. Yeah. Borg is like, I mean, just absolutely adore him. Like when I discovered Bjorn Borg, when I was first starting to, to learn about tennis when I was younger, I was just, you know, teen idol. Like he's so beautiful. He's what the Gibb brothers wish they were from that era. Um, you know, like the long hair, the skinniness. Do not. No, that's what I'm saying. They come, wish they come wish. For the brothers Gibb. They wish they were. <laughs> so Borg is the F. Edberg is the Mary. He seems like a really nice guy. And Mats Wielander, he just, talk, just talks too much. Mm. I have to kill him. It's not even a thought. A submission for best social media rhino Venus and her classes. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Uh, yeah, I feel bad that we missed that. So Venus, just this week, she's done workouts with Sasha Zverev. She's been on Naomi Campbell's show and vice versa. Who else? She had Grigor on like two weeks ago. Oh, Gronkowski was yesterday. Who is retired or not retired? He's coming back, y'all. But he got traded. I'm so confused. (laughs) As far as I understand it, the Patriots still owned his rights because he was under contract with them Mm. them when he retired. So they then had to trade him to Tampa Bay. So you can trade someone who is retired? I don't know the ins and outs of it, but that's the basic. My sister is on this call too, so she's going to have to explain that to me. Venus virtually lifting up Grigor's shirt for the greater good. Yes. Yeah. That was a great moment. She asked to see the results of his ab exercises. She didn't ask, you know, how to do it. She just wanted to see what it looked like after it was all done. No, but how she reacted was so perfect. Mm -hmm. You can't fake that stuff. That is God-given talent or Jehovah-given talent in her case. (laughs) To be caught off guard (laughs) and Uh to just collapse to the ground like that, that... No, she is good. And that actually brings up a good point. A lot of people have been talking this week about like when Venus retires, if she ever retires, will she go into broadcasting or something in socials or PR or something? Because she is so natural at it. She is so good. Like she's so charismatic. She's funny. I absolutely agree. Oh, Nick and Manny said, who do you want to be V's next workout partner? Wow, that's a really good question. For a lot of messy Serena Army fans, they'll say Serena, because that will mean that (laughs) she's actually practicing. But it is my understanding that there's a reason for it, that she's very concerned about the clotting issue during this time. I think for those who were there at that Serena happy hour thing, either Jill or Isha said that, that Isha may have said that. Yeah, so Isha was spilling sort of some medical history some sort of info probably serena wouldn't share herself well we know that she's had issues with the blood clotting before and that she's just being super careful right now it's not Mm. that she's home being lazy yeah okay so yinka said who are the biggest winners or losers of the enforced break from the competition so a week ago i would have said that novak was one of the biggest winners and now (laughs) 
I mean, it's not my fault. Like, he's done it to himself. But what do you mean by how are you interpreting oh, okay. winner and loser here? Like, sure. being a winner during the break or who will be a winner coming out of the break? Who will benefit from the break? Yeah. You just immediately went know, to I full know, mess. That was rude. If I'm being serious, so, okay, what constitutes a, a winner out of this break? Like, who benefits the most? I think if there were... Somebody who's been suspended... Yeah, oh my god the uh, nicholas jari mm-hmm. right so had his suspension reduced and it really hasn't even mattered because there's no tennis at all um so it's like it never happened i think bianca andreescu will be a big winner because i think i think she would have missed a lot of tournaments to be honest like i don't think the body is ready at all she tweeted a few things about how she was sad that indian wells in miami aren't going to happen this year and i'm thinking like girl you weren't going to play anyway She's going to um, keep her points. She'll yeah. presumably come back healthier. So that's a big winner. Um, you know, Novak is going to return at number one, which is definitely well-earned. But players like, you know, Venus is, what, is she 39 yet? Yeah, yes, she's 39. She's, she's turning like, 40 no matter months. No matter how you slice it, that's a, that's a loser in this situation because you're losing, I mean, a 41-year-old tennis player is not the same as someone in their late 30s. Federer and Nadal, losers as well, I think, especially Federer. Yeah, I mean, time is ticking for everybody, for everyone in the big four, for Serena and Venus, for Kerber. These players have really reset the clock as far as how we look at tennis players' ages. But, you know, there is still the reality of being 40 years old and having to compete with mm-hmm. 21-year-olds. So I think anyone who's north of 35 is probably a little bit nervous. We've seen a lot of players still engage in social media and then that gives you some insight into how they're doing, be it physically or mentally, emotionally. Like Venus looks totally fine out here. You know, she doesn't seem bothered Mm -hmm. by what's going on. But I imagine that there are a lot of players who are kind of out of sight, out of mind right now, maybe not the highest ranked. Maybe they are in the top 10, who knows, but who may be more susceptible to being affected emotionally by what's going on right now, Mm -hmm. long term. And then to have to couple that with training once this get started up again. Who knows how some folks will come out on the other side of this. Yeah. Oh, Trini Bev said on Shabur, I was actually just thinking about her, that she was on such a roll this year. And like she had such momentum. So really anyone who had built this momentum that was kind of uncharacteristic or like for her was, she was putting in career best results in the past few, really like the first, the last few weeks before the quarantine started. So that is rough. And I was thinking about uh, my boo, Andre Rublev, too, <laughs> as somebody who is or could suffer from being off for so long. Like, I don't know, you might forget how to win. Um, do you want to talk about freezing points? Versus- wait, wait, we've got us from Daniel Tatum here. Maybe Sharapova returns. <laughs> in parentheses, JK. You know what? I have seen more of that girl in the past month than I saw of her in the past five years, I swear. Honestly, I don't think it's that far-fetched. She's, I was shocked mm. that she just celebrated a birthday and she's still only 33 years old. Yeah, She won Wimbledon at 17, so that's half her lifetime ago, granted. Mm. But in tennis years now, if, I don't know, she wakes up in a couple of years and feels that her body might be willing to give it another go, who knows? Mm-hmm. Janina said everyone should come back healthy and fit. When tennis resumes, it should be great for everyone, really. I, I like that perspective. And it's true. Like, everybody has had a long layoff. 
Um, they might be like some players are better at coming back with rust. In the past, Serena has been able to jump into tournaments and go deep in them with some rust. It's not been as easy for her in her later years. Well, that's that's the point that mm. Zverev was trying to make that got yeah. misquoted yeah. unintentionally or evilly earlier this week that the break may benefit the the big three because mm. historically at the start of the year, once they've had some time off, they're ready to hit the road running right away because they know how their body works. They know how they need to train to get ready right away, whereas the younger guys need the repetition and stringing together a few wins. Mm. So John and Philip asked everyone, has it sunk in that Sophia Kennan might be the only woman slam champion in 2020? It has sunk in. There's a further bit to that question. And he, they said, are we all pressed with a T? Yeah. So yes to both questions. It has sunk in that she will probably be the only slam champion. And yes, we're pressed. You are pressed. I am pressed. So what if the Indian Wells United States Larry Ellison Open happens in the fall? <laughs> so the Spanish paper Marca just uh, published a story yesterday that suggested that Indian Wells would be ready to, uh, <laughs> to host the U.S. Open if it happens this year. Like, of course they would be ready. They want to, right? Like, I think that Indian Wells wants to take over the U.S. Open. You've had all... the worst feelings toward Indian Wells forever. A lot of it so, yeah. warranted, yes. 19 years this year. Can you recall what happened? <laughs> yeah, a, a large swath of it mm -hmm. uh, warranted. I just wonder if there is any positive to this mm -hmm. that you can possibly engage with. Okay, so I, to be totally fair, I have not been to either venue. So when people say like the Indian Wells venue is a lot better or is a better fan experience, that, that may be true. Like I, I will trust you on that. It seems um, to be a better experience for everybody. Yeah, involved. it's like it's probably less crowded, but also it's not a Grand Slam. It's different. And it's the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. It's Arthur Ashe Stadium. Like it has existed in New York City, in Queens for a long time, in Flushing or in... Mm -hmm. or sorry, in Forest Hills or in Flushing. The premise here is that New York will not be in a, a space with it being the epicenter of COVID in the U.S. right now. It won't be in a space to host the U.S. Open whenever it's scheduled to happen. And so no. for this year, Indian Wells is allegedly wanting to step in and mm. help them out. But right. you're thinking this is something more sinister, a long-term... Oh, yeah. Logistically, how would that happen? Maybe I'm being naive here. Why not? What's going to happen I mean, to the, the Billie Jean? The thing is that it's too, it's, too, it's probably too hot in August and September mm -hmm. to have it in Indian Wells. But I think Ellison really, really wants that Grand Slam. You know? Okay. I'm going to wish Steph, Steph in the U.S. an early happy birthday. My understanding is that it's tomorrow. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And then I'm also going to roast you a little bit in the same <laughs> breath. <laughs> because you wrote it should be illegal to retire and then come back. And you will, you all know, you all should know by now how we feel about that. Wow. That, that is, folks should militant. retire when wow. they're good and damn well ready. And if they want to come back, they can do it whenever, mm. for however, whatever reason. However, if you're retired for a silent ban, you should be banned permanently. I won't tell you who I think was on a silent ban when they were retired, but... Mm. Do you have any more questions here? Oh, Bridget in Calgary, in our country, 
um, shared that she thinks that all ATP WTA events are better fan experiences than the slams. That's fair. And to know? be honest, that's not something that we can speak to because right. we've never been to a slam. Mm -hmm. We were um, gonna go this year, but you know, on the scale of horrible things that have happened in 2020, that's really low. Is the term big three erasure of Sir Andrew Baron Murray? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say oh, no. Oh, that was actually submitted privately. I don't know if you're supposed to share that. Oh, you didn't say who submitted it. I didn't say who submitted okay. it. Mm. Um, I'm going to say no because the facts remain and Murray only has three slams. He has the Olympic gold medal. Mm. Those are great achievements, especially in this era. But if we're considering like the actual, what do you call it, numbers? You can't, you can't argue with that. It's three for a reason. Right. But okay. I think it, like it serves different purposes. Like it's okay to have a big three and a big four. I don't think it always has to be the big four, mm -hmm. but when the big four was a thing, Andy was always there. Like he was, he was beating Roger and Novak in masters tournaments. He was reaching semifinals consistently. He reached mm -hmm. many, many grand slam finals, three of which he won. I can't, I don't remember yeah. how many he reached, but like. Karen points out that Maury has two gold medals. That is true. Mm -hmm. Did you say he had one? I just said he has the gold medal. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he has two, a couple of them. Uh -huh. um, he also has his standing as one of the few good guys on the ATP tour mm. for whatever that's worth to you in your assessment of Murray. Yeah. But his, like, his status is, it's huge. I'm in no way trying to diminish what Andy has done, but... Like uh, a couple of folks said, you can't have the big four and the big three. If somebody says, oh, the big four in tennis, you know who you're talking about. We know mm. it's not Stan Wawrinka, even though they both have three slams. Yeah. It's just like the, the longevity and the consistency mm. Stan doesn't have. Yeah. Like the excellence in particular tournaments is crazy. You know, like the dominance that he's shown over Novak in finals. It's, it's wild. In spots. In, but right, in yeah. very isolated spots. Like Murray has been to, I think, like double digit slam finals, two gold medals. Yeah. Like he's just been. He's made a lot of slam finals for as many well. years. Yeah. yeah. He's put in the work. So I think both, both work for different purposes, the big three and the big four. Um, so Darren asked, what is the deal with slum? Will she get back to any sort of form? We've been know. doing this for how long? Five years? <laughs> like we've never had the answer to that question. Know. Never. Like I hope so. I like when Sloan is playing well. And I think she's funny and I like her and I think she brings a lot to women's tennis. She gave us I, the I quip know, of like what, 2019 yeah. with if it's not one scam, it's another. <laughs> right. Does Sloan actually care about tennis? I, I don't know. I think. Okay, Shola has to chime in. Do you want to unmute him? <laughs> yes, sir. My name is Shola Musa, and I have something to say, okay? <laughs> Sloane is, she always goes through this. There, there are peaks and valleys to her career. We understand this. In 2013 was a peak, and then she valleyed for like two and like a year and a half. And then she peaked. 2016 was a great year. Then she got hurt. She came back 2017, you know, boom, boom, boom. Semifinal, semifinal, US Open. Inarguable. Great 2018, pretty much the entire year. Of course, there were some like dips and and you know peaks, valleys in that year in the on the smaller scale. Twenty nineteen was not great. The beginning of this year also not great. <laughs> but she always 
finds a way to like get it back. And I think to say that she's done, like we said that she was done in 2015 and then she was dead. People. Who's been saying it? Not, not, I, you, you guys sound really guilty right now, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't say any names. I just said that was the general sort of feeling like she was kind of done that she won Washington. Then she built on that winning a couple more titles in 2016. Mm. And then she got hurt. She didn't win a match. You were like, well, pfft, same shit, whatever. And then she went on that amazing US Open run. Then she lost eight great matches after that. And they were like, fluke. And then she had a great 2018. So I think writing her off is, you know, it's silly. It's a bit, it's premature. It will always be premature until she is kind of done. She is the, um, a great, like one of the wild card tennis players probably in history you know like she really can be she really is a threat to everybody and can be pretty much everybody she has been pretty much everybody let's be real you can argue about whether there were good matches or high quality like she's beaten everybody yeah, that's right. that's that's facts that's just the truth um and she's lost to a lot of nobodies also the truth <laughs> I wonder though, like, I wonder if she'll become sort of a Svetlana figure. I think so. Older, you know? Yeah, she, she kind of has that, that Svetlana sort of like, oh, like, she is one of those names that you're like, shit, I don't want her in my draw, but also like, mm-hmm. this draw can open up. <laughs> you know, she is, she is that, that sort of has that stature and you always, you have to respect it regardless of what you think of her, mm-hmm. what you think of like, if her career was a fluke, if she shouldn't have won this or she should have won this and that, you always have to respect that the talent, the game, and what she can bring to the tennis court on any given day can take out everybody on the tour. Yeah. That's I all. <laughs> that, was, that was very well said, well presented from a Sloan stand. I stay you ready know? with Sloan. Mm-hmm. I'm always ready to defend my girl. We've been, we've been on the other end of that before. <laughs> I feel like, so I believe that Sloane is the truth when she's playing well. Like, she is a great tennis player. And she can be, I don't know if she can be consistently great, but like Sloane's slam was not a hiccup. It was not a hiccup. Oh, like it was, she, she beat, you know? like, the, the players that she beat, if you really want to go through the list, she mm-hmm. beat Vince, Vinci, Vinci, we won't say her name. We won't say the rest oh. of her name. Jonathan's favorite player, <laughs> Roberta Vinci. Um, she I don't beat, know if I've told this story before on the show, but we sat across from Roberta Vinci literally like 10 feet away we did tell in 2015, mm-hmm. a mere like, weeks before the US Open. And we're like, oh, look, it's Roberta Vinci. How cute. <laughs> You're like, hey, oh, she's having such a good time. And then she came and she fucked up all our lives. Oh, man. I blame that on you guys completely. Um, but she beat Vinci, Sobolkova, top 10 seed. Um, Barty was, you know, on the come up. Gurgis had a great year. Savasova, who's ruining people's lives. Um, Venus in that match that you guys don't want to talk about was a great match. And yeah. then she killed Maddie. And it was a great, it was a, an incredible run. And that can't be denied. No. It just can't. On that high note for you, it can't get any higher than that. We will, we will move on. Who is the flukiest slam champ of the century? And that's from Ido. 
Okay, so this is a... This is designed for us to get messy. Is yeah, that what this is? Yeah. So Peter was the first one to respond with Ostapenko. It, um, <laughs> well, she won. Like, it's, I don't know, like, it's hard to say because she won. She had the lead up in Charleston. She won fair and square. No, but she also played well in, in yeah. clay leading up to that tournament. She made the final and lost to Kazakina there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the tennis she played was just jaw-dropping. Yeah. Like, it wasn't... She passed the eye test yeah. of a slam champ. She has mm. subsequently failed the eye test <laughs> of a slam champ repeatedly since. Right. But during those two weeks, like, she won. You know, it's not like other people lost. I really feel like she won. Mm. Um, but I do think this is a little different from Sloane, because I think when Sloane is at her best, she's better. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I think Astapenko is still very young, and I also think Bartoli is probably a more appropriate choice. Because her draw catered, cratered, not, oh, it catered to her and it cratered yeah. that year. But again, granted, like I, she had been a Wimbledon finalist before, mm-hmm. so it wasn't unheard of. Yeah, it still feels a little weird because, like, they, you know, they did what they were supposed to do. Like, they beat everybody, you know. Which is something we, we yeah. say in defense of these players all the time. Mm-hmm. That if you win the matches, you win the matches, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I do want to dig into this one. Um, Harish said Flavio. <laughs> you know how tempted I am to agree with that. Um, I had actually been a big Flavia fan before, I guess before the Fabio marriage. Um, but, you know, to be fair, Vinci did do the hard work of that U.S. Open by taking out Serena. That's all, that's all you're going to say on that? all I'm going to say about that. A case can be made for Miss <laughs> <laughs> Panetta. And the men... That's the follow-up question from Ido. Chilich is mm-hmm. his question mark? No, no. Chilich is, is the real deal, I think. But who else are you going to look to in the last 15 years? Oh, um, oh yeah, that's good. Johansson, right? There were like a mm-hmm. few weird ones in the early 2000s. Weird, wow, um, that's rude. Well, in the early 2000s, we had more specialized services. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Korda was doping. Yes. Right? So that counts as a fluke. I, I was um, so upset because I really enjoyed watching Cordo mm-hmm. play tennis. Um, Gaston Gaudio is another one that was like right You're just before, reading people's yeah, yeah. suggestions without and making people think that you're giving them. Okay. Emmett and Harish said Gaudio. <laughs> Eva um, Maioli. I mean, she was a pretty consistent top 10 player at the time. Brad said Cordo was a great player. Yeah, he was a great player. However, he was also doping. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, Doping is only going to get you so far. You know, you have to be really good first. <laughs> I would say, like, who won those, those ATP Grand Slams when they were boycotting? You know, like in the, in the in 70s? the 70s? Yeah. Who Probably was to go that far back? Whoever won that. Jan Kodis. Karen said Kodis. I, yep, I think that's it, right? In, like, 73 or something? Yeah. Or Stan Smith, 1972. That was John Phillip. Okay. I don't know who's right. We need a fact checker. Do y'all have any personal questions for us outside of tennis? Somebody asked, I think it was Bridget asked if what we're drinking. I'm just drinking beer, a regular old lager. I'm drinking extremely cheap wine that comes in a 1.5 liter bottle. Um, <laughs> it's Montepulciano. It costs, I mean, in the US it would cost like $5, but in Canada it costs, I don't know, like 13, 14, 15. Brad Hunter says, Court won all those Aussies with no competition. Technically, there were players and bodies in the draw. 
the abbreviated abridged draw? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we went through that. Um, and like some of them were more competitive than others, right? Like some of them had Maria Bueno, Billie Jean King, who were the other, like the big players of that era. A few of them, like she played very strong competition, not throughout the, the entire tournament, but like some of them were also 30 player draws. They were all Australian. So it's kind of a mixed bag. I don't know why I'm trying to be fair to Margaret. She doesn't deserve it, but. <laughs> How are you two doing being on lockdown all day, every day? That's coming from Steph. It's been mostly okay, shockingly. This is yeah, the like, end of week six being home together. Surprisingly okay. We haven't really fought that much. There were like a couple rough days, but literally only two. Mm. Um, Steph also asked, where is Vince? And implied in that is like, how is Vince? Vince is on his bed. He's, so Vince is 13 years old now. So we got him a memory foam bed because we heard it was good for senior dogs. He loves it. He's, he's great. He loves that people are home. Molly wants to know, do you watch reruns of tennis during the lockdown? That's a great question. It depends what is on. So yesterday I watched set three, four, and five of Murray Sanga from the 2016 Wimbledon. It was a quarterfinal, I think. You were well into that. I was, and I felt like I'm so happy that Andy won a second Wimbledon, but I felt really bad for, for Joe in that moment. And you were confident that he had two more rounds in him, should he have won that fifth five-set I mean, match. I can't remember the feeling back then, but rewatching it, beaten I felt really bad. And then Federer. You're confident that that would have happened. Wait, but the commentators were saying this was the quarterfinals. Federer had just won. And they were saying that Andy was the favorite to win this tournament, even though Roger was still there. Because he was in a few years slump there. Yeah, Roger hadn't broken out of that yet. Yeah, and I mean, Roger's slumps were like, oh, ranked number three or four. It wasn't Making dramatic. semifinals. Yeah. Best TV shows you've watched, again from Steph, Better Things is my favorite show on TV. I absolutely love that show. Like the storytelling is really interesting because it feels very intimate. Like they do a lot of vignettes that kind of only last the 10 minutes in between commercial breaks. I adore that show. We just finished watching uh, Casa de las Flores last night, House yeah, of Flowers House on Netflix. Of Flowers. It's not the greatest show. It's kind of campy and tragically bad in spots, but it's so entertaining. Really? I don't think so. So it's a Mexican show on Netflix. It's like a half hour comedy and it's had three seasons. That's really good. I would recommend it. I might rewatch it because I'm also trying to learn Spanish. We haven't watched Little Fires yet because James is allegedly reading the book and I can't watch it until he's done with the book. Yes, I'm almost done with it. Janina and Molly want to know who's doing the cooking. During regularly scheduled programming, I would say it's more 60-40 you. Yeah. Because like when I'm, I work more nights and yeah. then you're at home during like cooking time. And so I would normally cook maybe Mondays and Tuesdays when I have a day off. But now I've been pretty much cooking every night with a sous chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Harish has asked this question, I think a few times, or this question has come up a few times. How long will James grow his beard? It has been... A, a lot longer, but I decided this is the length that works for me. Have you picked up anything during the pandemic hobbies that you hadn't done before? Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Anxiety? TikTok? <laughs> Actually, yeah, TikTok. I've been playing this cricket game on my phone that I tend to not play games <laughs> at all, but I've been playing it for a month and a half now. Mm. 
I guess like the good thing about it has been I've gotten back to reading, which I like I my attention span had been shot for a long time. But back to reading, I've gotten into ebooks, which I was really against for a long time. You're looking to me like mm-hmm. I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to like glamorize the lockdown because it really sucks for a lot of people. Like this isn't vacation time. But yeah, I mean there's some good things. I hope there can be good things that come from it. Stuart asks, presuming tennis resumes in 2021, which tournaments will you hope to visit? Oh, so I would hope to do like the tour that we had planned in 2020. So we were going to go to the Berlin grass tournament. This year was supposed to be its first. After this year, who knows? I hope that it it actually happens next year. We were hoping to go to the U.S. Open. Um, So Berlin, the U.S. Open, we were probably going to skip Cincinnati this year. But also, like, I'd love to go to Charleston. I've never been there. Trini Bev asked, any book recommendations? I don't have any new ones, but I'll just tell you my favorites. So my favorite book is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. This book called Station Eleven by, I forgot who it's by, Mandel or Mantel? I forgot. So Station Eleven, it's about a pandemic, which I realize is, is not very ideal at this moment but it's really good. It has some sort of like magical realism elements to it. I absolutely love this novel. Anything by Zadie Smith, I love. On Beauty is my favorite Zadie Smith book. What else? I don't know. <laughs> Venus Envy, like tennis books. Venus Envy by, by John Wertheim. Monica Seles's memoirs are really interesting, both of them, for different reasons. On a scale of one to 10, how much have you enjoyed doing this today? Well, we can tell you that we were kind of scared out of our minds for mm-hmm. a good portion of the day. It was and it such didn't a get weird, better. No. Not, when, when you log on and you have people shouting the N-word and point, mm-hmm. putting up porn. That was a thing that happened. Um, so obviously we know that we have to do the waiting room mm-hmm. if there is a next time. I mean, like if I just figured folks would be harassing the little kids and not us. Although you had hoped they'd be harassing no, I was children not instead hoping. of us? I was not hoping. I just stupidly thought that we were not on anybody's radar. Like, are they just like scrambling through numbers? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're like dialing random numbers. Oh. Yeah. I I underestimated like how, how much time people had on their hands to troll random Zoom calls. To your thing about the travel next year. Sorry. Sorry. JLW said the author of Station Eleven is Emily St. John Mandel. Thank you. So please seek out that book. It's really good. Karen asks, what tournament is on your wish list? Uh, uh, Monte Carlo. I'm going to be more general and just say a slam. I think it's, <laughs> we just need to be at a slam at some yeah, point. Yeah. So uh, the Australian Open is the one that I really, really want to go to the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the most feasible is the US Open. I th- the French Open is pretty feasible too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the other one? What's the other one? The other that, one. Wimbledon. That yes. one in England. Yeah, that yeah. one. See, if I do Wimbledon, I want to do cricket as well. Like, have it be oh, a longer to thing. To go to Lourdes and... Yeah. Mm. <laughs> In keeping with Ali's aesthetic, pageant-type question, if you know anything about Ali on Twitter, he uh, posts almost exclusively in uh, pageant GIFs. And so his question is, if you were a slam, which one would you be? Or which one do you identify with? Yeah. He's saying that's a, it's a pageant-type mm. question. Yeah. That's a really good question. Okay, so I'm, mm. I'm from upstate New York, not New York, New York. 
Um, but I feel like a special affinity for the U.S. Open because I feel like the largest. Know, it, it's the closest one to me. It, yeah, like the largest, the star power. But that's actually not me at all. Like that's not my personality at all. I don't like I don't even want to be on video today, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so whichever one is that, the least like the least showy would be me. The least showy. I think you'd have to go to Australia then. Yeah, I think so. I would probably be Wimbledon, which pains me to say. Like, there's only so much overcoming of my colonial education that I can do. There's just only so much. I'm a, I'm a, I'm positively a rebel right now compared to how I was even five years Mm -hmm. ago. That pineapple that's on top of the Wimbledon trophy was stolen from your country through conquest. So you might as well own it. I'm, you know. I'm a bit of a stickler for rules. I'm not proud of it. When you guys go to a tournament, you should host a happy hour meetup. Yes, yeah, we can do yeah. that. I can't wait to to actually like meet people in person. It feels so much more natural. But it's really cool to see everybody in live motion. A lot of you we've never really talked to like on DM or anything. So it's cool to kind of see you as as fellow human beings. Do you have anything else you want to say? I think we can wrap up shortly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we won't take up your entire Saturday night. I mean, there is, well, there's nothing to do, but, you know, <laughs> for us at least. So you didn't answer my question. You have nothing else to add? No, I have nothing else. Okay. Thank you all for coming out. We will possibly maybe do this again. Um, yeah, we might do it again. We're going to do it the right way, the secure way. <laughs> The idea behind this was tennis was not happening. There was nothing as far as regular news coming our way. So we were like, well, we're going to pivot pretty much almost exclusively to doing research type episodes. We have a Google document with like 15 different ideas that we're working on. We kind of just pick one to, to do next. And so we've done two in a row and we're like, nothing's happening. Let's just do it this way. Mm-hmm. And then news happened. We're like, well, well, damn. Like maybe this should have been a regular episode. Uh, but for now, I think that's the way we're yeah. going to do it. But also like if you have suggestions for things that you'd like like us to look into, like historical tennis episodes, we would love to hear it because we don't want to do ones that are just not interesting. Oh, and so we, you know, we did the Zena Garrison episode a few weeks ago and we we spoke to her after. And I don't, I don't want to like, say what we talked about, I guess that would be a breach of trust. But we talked to her on the phone. It was awesome. Like Zena is such a cool lady. It was such a blast to to be able to speak with her. And so she and Shanda Rubin actually have a Facebook live show that they do twice a week called Game Set Chat. Right. So I would encourage you to look that up. That's really cool. Incidentally, they had one today at the same time as we had Orthing which yeah. I hope she doesn't think we were like trying to step on her toes because <laughs> right. we had ours out first. No, usually they we do it, on, it first. They usually do it on Friday. Um, but they had Pam Shriver on last week, which was a blast. And they had, and I know a lot of people oh, they had don't Katrina. care for Miss Shriver, but it was actually very interesting. Yeah. And Pam will like tell any story. If you ask her a story to tell, she will come up mm-hmm. with a really good one. If you listen to the Xena episode, you'll remember at the end, we talked about this incident between Zena and Pam in the mid nineties. I think it was 94 Birmingham or mm. something like that. And being the messy 
one that I am. <laughs> I was watching the uh, game set chat with Zena and Shanda and Pam, and I submitted a question. It had my name attached to it. I wasn't trying to be like messy in private. Is there an incident from when you were playing that you were witness that you were witness to or participated in that you are glad that social media wasn't around for? And without skipping a beat, Pam went into talking about the Zena incident. She's like, well, I guess I might as well talk about it now. <laughs> and she was like, can I talk about this now? And so she did. And she said there was this incident in Birmingham in 1994, I think, where Pam felt that she didn't behave very well in the court. And Zena talked to the press afterward and said she felt that Pam had acted in a racist way toward her and her fans, that she was considering quitting the WTA Players Council because of... <laughs> because of how Pam behaved. And what we didn't know is that, hi Vince, he doesn't get like being on camera at all. That Zena and Pam had spoken shortly after those really explosive interviews and kind of just made up. So whatever drama happened in the press was pretty much over by the time it had been reported. So it was interesting to hear those two talk about it. And Pam seemed to have some sort of like come to Jesus moment about how saying certain things could be interpreted by, uh, say, a Black person differently than if she had said it about a white person. Um, so, I mean, mm -hmm. I was surprised she had never thought about that before that moment, but it's like, it's never too late, right? Yeah. The last couple of things I want to say, there was a question earlier about if we are watching tennis reruns. I have zero desire to watch matches I've seen or matches that have happened in my tennis watching lifetime, really. And that goes with TV shows. I tend to not rewatch stuff. So I've been doing a lot of watching of tennis, but older matches that I haven't seen. And it's crazy to me that some of those matches from the 70s are of better quality than some of the matches that happened in the early 90s, on YouTube at least. <laughs> but doing the last episode watching BJ Amritraj play tennis, that was cool. And I want to yeah. learn and see different things that I hadn't seen before. So send your suggestions. Um, and then the other thing, sorry. There's more. I said I had two things. The other thing was uh, I've also not, well, I've also said before that I'm famously, infamously not a podcast listener. So I don't listen to other tennis podcasts and I tend to not like take in other stuff. But the one thing that I actually do make time for and I legitimately enjoy it is game set chat. Like it's not like a made up thing that we're mm -hmm. trying to like plug somebody like. And the reason for it is so many people are circling the wagon, struggling to put out content in this time. We are in the same boat. And the thing that I enjoy most about it is that it's unique in telling me things I don't know. Like I'm actually learning stories about what happened in tennis back in the day. Like I'm also coming to learn that people are just so messy if you give them a microphone. You know, like people are so willing to spill the tea and give you the gossip. If and I'm here for it. If you're into that. Yeah. No, but you know, Zena was able to tell stories that Sports Illustrated maybe wasn't telling you know, in, in the 80s and 90s when she played. Like, it's cool. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. All right. On that note, thank you all thank you for, coming. for coming. Happy Saturday. Have Happy birthday tomorrow, Steph. See ya. Thank you. Thank you very much.